Give that guy a good strong hand. That's hard work, man. And he was actually so funny. Jonathan, how, how did you do that today? It's amazing. So that one lone, solitary, singular table group that happened to pop up on the grid here last minute, that's my brother and sister-in-law, to which Jonathan said to all of our volunteers this morning when we met in our pre-meeting, he said, uh, yeah, Pastor Jay couldn't get them. He said, so I had to. So, to which I replied, in the very meekness of spirit, poverty of spirit, merciful. I just said, listen, as long as they got got, brother, it's all that matters. It doesn't even matter who did it. Wow, man, it's so good to see you. Christ is risen, church. Amen. I thought it would be good to have Allegra come up here and give us a quick summary overview of what she prayed into. This is a ministry she's been involved with for years, and actually Midtown plays a really, really, really small role in helping to facilitate this ministry. But Allegra, would you just give everybody an overview of what's happening with Royal Kids Family, Royal Family Kids? Um, hello. Um, some of you in this house probably already know who they are because you've been involved yourselves. And for that, I want to say thank you. Um, so RFK is actually a ministry that was birthed out of California. Um, God gave a vision to, I don't know the people's names. I should know this, but I don't, um, about doing a kid's camp and bringing nature therapy to kids in the foster system. And from that initial vision, RFK has grown, I don't know however many years it's been around, um, to be now international. And they have these summer camps that are completely funded, funded and paid for by the local church. And it's entirely volunteer run. There, nobody gets paid except for like the few staff in California who give out the curriculum and do all of the training and everything like that. But they, it's, so the executive leadership in Colorado Springs and at any other site that has them, um, they're just a team of volunteers who recruit and put on and fund and like get all of the fundraising for a week-long camp for kids who are actively in the foster system. And so eligibility at 6 to 12-year-olds, um, our local camp can take up to 72 kids, wow. half of those boys, half of those girls. Um, in that age range. And the first year that a kid goes to camp, they have to be actively in foster care. After that, whether they go back to a grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncle, if they get reunited with their bio family, if they get adopted, once an RFK kid, always an RFK kid. This camp, you guys, is the most extravagant expression of God's love I've ever seen. Like, I've, my whole career is in child welfare, and I've worked in a lot of different arenas, so I initially got involved by going through DHS, and I was the DHS liaison, so I got to go get paid to, like, hang out with these kids that I had actively removed. And it was just crazy because seeing these kids who might have behaviors, who might really struggle and have really big trauma responses, get to just play and get to be in God's nature and get to just be poured out love. They don't proselytize. It's not like conversions where people are coming up. It's just literally showing him, showing these kids God's love through just endless, endless, endless yeses, endless love, endless like just words of affirmation. 
And so kids who might really struggle in a school setting, in their foster homes, in different, in residential treatment settings can come and just like be and just be who they are and get to hear who God has made them to be, his purposes for their life, his identity for them, no matter what happens in their life, no matter how things shake out. And then they get to ask God and pray, like, and ask him the hard questions and say, God, I'm thankful. Here's what's still on my heart. That every kid gets a Bible. Every kid gets lots of gifts, like probably too many. But <laughs> it's it's just incredible. And then they have a mentoring program. So for kids who have been to camp, they have a mentoring program that goes through the school year. And they meet once a month. And I'm also involved in that. And it's incredible, you guys. Like it also, every all the money that gets fundraised, it costs like 500 bucks for one kid to go to camp. And they fundraise literally all of it. They pay for the camp. They pay for the food. So it's a week of respite for the foster families. And that's essential. Like, if you don't know what that takes to do that work and to say yes to that calling, I just challenge you to look around this room and ask someone who's in this room what that takes and what that requires. So anyway, if you want to know more, we are having a fundraising banquet um, it's free to come. And then if you feel so called to invest financially, or if you want to volunteer, everybody has to do background checks. And it's like a really, uh, thorough process to make sure that the people there are safe. There's lots of rules, lots of training, but I promise your life will never be the same. If you get to go and see what it looks like to love on kids in that space, you will be blessed from it. But literally everybody who goes takes a week off of their own vacation time to just like go and love on these kids and do it in that space. So if you want to know anything more, I probably talked too long, but that's, that's all. That's amazing. If you're involved in any capacity or have been with Royal Family Kids, would you mind just standing and or if you've been involved with child services or human services in any capacity, I want to pray over you. So if you've been in that space, Allegra, you can remain standing. Excellent. Friends, let's just, let's just minister to our ministers. This is a ministry space. These guys are ministers of the kingdom in this unique space in our city. And right now, we just extend our hands to our brothers and our sisters. And Father, we thank you for their ministry, which is so vital. Lord, we thank you for the way that they express kingdom ministry, whether that by being, being, by being foster parents or by serving the children or by serving people in our city in this capacity. So Father, today I ask that you would strengthen their hands. And I ask, oh God, that you would strengthen their ministry. And I ask that you would anoint them. Anoint them, Father, because what they're doing is so valuable. It is kingdom work. And God, I pray that you would just, you would elevate their ministry. Get, you would give them eyes to see and that you would give them ears to hear and that their hands would be healing hands and that you would activate gifts of the spirit in their ministry, oh God. Lord, that they would be able to see the root of issues and speak to those in the exact way that every child or mother or father or foster, foster family needs. So Father, we bless these ministers of the kingdom we thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give those guys a hand today. Okay, I have uh, something really exciting to share with you uh, that actually happened last weekend. So if you were here for GC Ignite in any capacity, whether you were a student or a parent or a panelist or a volunteer, will you just throw up your hand really quick? I want the church to see you. Wow. Guys, so for those of you who are not aware of what GC Ignite is... Our youth ministry directors, Christian and Ellie Tonkins, throw your hands up real high, Christian, and everybody see who you are. 
right? Guys, these guys work tirelessly to love, serve, and minister to the youth of our church. And we had about 36 youth, not including our college-age students or our parents or our panelists. And I'm telling you, these guys put together one of the most, the most phenomenal little youth retreats that happened from Friday all day Saturday into Saturday night. And I'll tell you, as a parent, not just as a pastor, but as a parent who came home from a trip to see my kids alive and awake in God. Not, not alive, like, thank God you're alive, right? Thank <laughs> God you're God. No, like alive in the spirit. <laughs> um, I am also thankful that they're alive physically. Like, thank you, right? Um, but man, these guys recruited a team of people that prayed and fasted and prepared and came ready to impart into the next generation. And man, Christian and Ellie, thank you so much for your ministry. All who served that weekend, thank you for your ministry. I'm telling you, it's going to bear fruit for years and years and years to come. So, so grateful. Well, guys, I'm excited to jump into the Word today. So if you have your Bibles, pull your Bible out. We're going to go straight to the book of Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to do something that I have never, ever done in the preaching space before. I'm going to do something that is called Lectio Divina. So this is very simple. I'm going to read the passage of Scripture slowly. And what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you actually to just listen to the words of Scripture as I read them slowly over you. And then the second round, I'm going to read it again. But as I do that, I'm going to invite you into a place of meditating on a word or a phrase. I believe that as I read this the second time, what will happen is the Holy Spirit will highlight a word or a phrase that he wants to he wants to just drill a little bit deeper into your life, right? And then the third iteration, and we'll just go through three. The third iteration is, I'll read it again, and then we'll ask the Holy Spirit, what are you inviting me into through this passage? And then I'll pray, and then we'll go into the teaching and preaching space. So listen to the word of the Lord, church, from the book of Matthew, chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this time as I read, allow your heart and your mind to become fixated on a word or a phrase that you meditate upon. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Just let that word or that phrase roll over your heart, your mind. And last time, we invite the Holy Spirit. Lord, what are you inviting us into? What are you highlighting? What are you wanting us to give our attention to? Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, and they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Spirit of the living God, would you breathe afresh on the word of God today? Would you open the eyes of our understanding? Would you give us illumination and would you give us revelation that leads to transformation? We want to be like you. We want to be formed more deeply into the image of Jesus. We want to encounter the living God afresh and anew today. And we want to be activated and we want to be commissioned to join you in your mission in the earth, oh God. So Holy Spirit, come do the work that only you can do. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for doing that with me. I am on a little bit of a quest in my own life to put this spiritual practice into more consistent uh, operation in my own life, learning how to slow down learning how not to just gobble up loads of scripture, but actually to think deeply and reflectively about the scriptures and allow the scripture to form me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're actually uh, trying to introduce this into our table groups. And the Beatitudes, I think, are a perfect, perfect launching pad for practicing Lectio Divina. And as you saw, that took just about three to five minutes but it's a way to just still the busyness and the chaos of our minds and our hearts and for us to approach the scriptures from an open posture. And I want to encourage you, take some time throughout the week to do that. There's actually an app. It's called Lectio 365, Lectio 365. And it's about eight to 10 minutes. And it's just this beautiful uh, practice of Lectio Divina. They'll go through a couple of passages of scripture. They'll lead you into a time of intercession. And it's a beautiful way to start the day and to end the day. So a few days ago, I was up in the mountains about 9,500 feet. I was up there at a, at a board retreat for a local organization here in town. And uh, I, for the first time ever, I actually did the Lectio app in the evening. I do it almost every morning now. But I thought, man, I want to do this in the evening. And it just is this beautiful way of capturing the day, thanking God for his presence in your day and just pronouncing peace over your rest. So the next morning I wake up and everyone is like, how'd you sleep? How'd you sleep? Guys, there was not one person who slept great. And I'm really sorry for them, but I'm telling you, I slept, I slept amazingly. <laughs> and in my mind, I just thought, man, that Lectio 365 app, 
That's, that's like great to help you sleep. And I don't know if there's any connection or not. All I know is I slept really, really well after listening to that app. So hope that's a good resource for you. Let's dive in to the final three installments of the Beatitudes, which, if you've been a part of our series, is a sort of like the preamble of the entire Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to read this one more time, and then we're going to launch into our three installments here. Blessed are the pure at heart, blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are the persecuted. And I love it when the Bible lays out an alliteration outline. It's a preaching outline. It's already laid out for me. If you caught those three Ps, you guys have probably got a preaching calling on your life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. For they will see God. Something that I stumbled upon years ago was this reality, and I think it's a revelation that you and I were actually created by God to see God. You were created by God to know God, not to know him in this distant, cerebral way, not to know him um, as a subject to be studied, not to know him uh, like a servant-master relationship. You were created to know the God of the ages intimately and deeply, and you were created to know him uh, better than you, you know the people in your life that are the closest to you, to know him uh, in every space of your life, to know him in that way. And I'm telling you, like when, when that comes alive in you guys, when you realize that the God of the universe is not angry at you, and he's not shaking his fist at you, and he's not folding his arms at you, and he's not looking to catch you doing something wrong, and he's not excited about disciplining you. Like when you realize that the God of Jesus loves you so deeply, it will revolutionize your life in him. And consequently, it will revolutionize every area of your life. And here's what I stumbled upon. I want you to imagine this. When God created humanity, when he created Adam, and the scriptures tell us in Genesis 1 that God creates Adam out of the dust of the ground. And then God puts his lips on Adam's lips. And he breathes, the Hebrew word there is ruach. He breathes the spirit of God, the spirit of life. Adam comes alive and becomes a living being because God himself, face to face, mouth to mouth, breathes and imparts the breath of life into humanity. And I want you to imagine, if you can, that you're that lump of clay and you, you went from an inanimate nothingness, just material matter, into an actual living being. And the very first thing that you behold is the face of God. And this is what convinces me that you and I will forever be unfulfilled and we will forever uh, long to see the face of God again because at our very inception, we were created in, out of intimacy. We were created out of intimacy, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the intimate relationship which the scriptures tell us have coexisted mutually in mutual affection and in mutual submission. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have lived in an intimate dynamic union throughout all of eternity and out of the overflow of that intimacy that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit experience, you and I were created. We were the product of the intimacy of Father, Son, and Holy Holy Spirit, friends, you have no idea how much he loves you, how much he loves you. And so what we find is that all through the scriptures, that God is constantly inviting us to know the real God, not the misrepresentations of God. 
which the enemy's sole purpose is to misrepresent God so that you and I don't trust God, so that you and I are suspicious of God, so that you and I distance ourselves from God because God's sole agenda is to walk in unbroken union with us. That's God's sole agenda is to walk in unbroken fellowship and communion with humanity. Nothing brings him greater joy and nothing brings God greater than delight, greater delight than to walk in unbroken communion with you. And this is why he hates sin. Some of us, you know, think, well, he hates sin because he's just this, ah, he's an angry God. And yes, he's holy, but we have this kind of twip, twisted, warped view. God hates sin, A, because of what it does to us, because of how it perverts the image of God inside of us. And he hates sin, number two, because of what it does between you and him. It's an unnecessary obstacle. It's an unnecessary barrier between you and him. And that's one of the reasons why he hates it so much. Are you hearing me today, church? So we find in the Hebrew psychology that heart is literally the human center. It's the center of the human being. It's the house or the habitation of our personal feelings, our will, our thinking, the heart, the will, and the mind, and the Hebrew understanding of the heart are all housed in the heart. What you think comes from your heart, not your brain. What you feel comes from your heart. What, 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 what you choose to do with the faculty of your will, the power to choose comes all from your heart in the Hebrew understanding of the makeup of the heart. So we could easily translate the pure at heart as being clean and clear at the center of your being, to have clarity in the center of your being. Another way of saying this is to be centered on God, right? So that the orientation of your heart, the orientation, the direction of your feelings the direction of your thoughts, your imaginations, the direction of your fantasies, the direction of your fascinations, the direction of your longing, the direction of your desires are all centered on God. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we started in the series on the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about that word blessed. And we identified the fact that to be blessed is essentially to orient, it's to orient our lives in the way of Jesus, which is to orient our value systems and it's to orient our belief systems, which then consequently will orient all of our behaviors around the person and the way of Jesus. And the Bible says, when you do that, when you orient your entire way of life around who this man is, you will inevitably orient your life around his kingdom, and that is the blessed life. That's the happy life. That's the prosperous life. That is the flourishing life. So when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's taking this right out of the Old Testament in Psalm 24. You can turn there with me in Psalm 24, verses 3 through 4. The psalmist David says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Listen to this language. Blessed are the pure in heart. Who may stand in the holy place of God? And then the response there is the one who has clean hands, external, and a pure heart, internal. 
who does not trust in an idol or swear by what is false. And David goes on to explain some other kind of iterations of what it means to have clean hands and a pure heart. But I want you to see this right here. The, the question is, who can stand in the presence of God? The question is, who's the person that God allows into intimacy with him? The, the, the question is, who, who is the one who experiences unbroken communion and unbroken fellowship with the God of Jesus? And then he answers that. The one whose heart is oriented towards purity. The one whose heart is oriented towards cleanness. Now, depending on how you grew up and depending on what kind of re religious, um, I just want to say religious background and how they uh, interpreted the scriptures for you, you might have taken a very legalistic approach to the idea of holiness. And what I want to do today is I want to invite you today into seeing purity and holiness in a little bit of a different way. It is the kindness of God that invites us into purity. It is the kindness of God that invites us into holiness. And probably what you have found in your journey in God is that it is absolutely impossible for you to live up to the standards of God's purity and holiness without him. It is impossible. We are utterly poor in spirit when it comes to being pure at heart. We are utterly and completely dependent on God to have our motivations and our ambitions clean. And here's the beautiful promise. God says, God says, I'm going to help you be pure in heart towards me. I'm going to be the one who cleanses your heart. I'm going to be the one who cleanses your motivations. All you have to do is invite me in to that space, right? And depending on what life and level of sin you lived in before you came into a relationship with God, there may be a little bit more to clean up, right? So just imagine going and purchasing a house, and in the backyard of that house, it is just littered with weeds, right? It's just everywhere you go, there's weeds because the previous tenant didn't take care of that space. But now that it's under new management, now that it's under new authority, doesn't, doesn't mean that every one of those weeds is automatically gone. Now, because of new management, because of new authority, because of new ownership, now you can systematically go about the business of cultivating that backyard. It's not automatic, right? But now you have the legal authority to do what's necessary in that space. It's the same with God. The scripture tells us that we have been saved and that we are being saved and that one day we will ultimately with finality be saved, right? When we said yes to Jesus in that moment, he cleansed us of sin. And yet until Christ returns and we see him as he is, we're going to live a life of sanctification. And we do not do this in our own strength and in our own ability and in our own willpower. We do this by saying, God, give me a clean heart. Help me participate with the process of sanctification and cleansing. So take heart, friends. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. And don't allow mistakes or failures or even sin to bring one second of distance between you and God. Here's the great analogy. So for those of you who have parents or maybe you were a child someday, I try to tell my sons this all the time. I say, hey, guys, listen. If I go down into the basement and I find something you break and I find it out and you don't tell me, it's going to be a little bit of a different conversation than if you just tell me immediately, yes. right? It's just so simple. 
Like if you do something and you know, don't be afraid. Just come and say, Dad, Dad, we were goofing off and like, we destroyed the big screen TV. <laughs> Which did happen. <laughs> right? I would much rather, I would much, the, the entire tone, the entire direction of the conversation changes. Friends, this is what we call confession. This is what we call confession. Remember in the garden, God has to hunt Adam down. God already knows. He already knows it's a waste of time to hold on to, it's just a waste of time to hold on to sin. It's a waste of time. It's unnecessary distance. It's unnecessary torture in your soul. He already knows. So what he's waiting for is for you to step out from the bushes and say, God, I blew it. I blew it again. I blew it again. And he's like, okay, let's talk through this. Let's talk why you did that. What's, what's operating inside of you? What needs to change? And it's not a bunch of external government. It's the posture and the orientation of our heart that he's after in our lives. That's right. I'm going to skip over a couple of passages here, guys. I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. This is a story here for Isaiah the prophet has a vision of God. And in this vision, we see something that's very, very important to the Christian faith. I'm going to read it here in verse one. We're going to read through verse eight. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. He was high and exalted. He was seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. I don't know how this happened, but God sovereignly and graciously invited Isaiah into the very holy place of God. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Daniel experienced this. Ezekiel experienced this. John the Revelator experienced this in the book of Revelation. There are times when God says, come up here. There's a door for us to enter into where we can literally see the Lord. And when we see God, you'll notice something really, really profound happens. That in the light of his dazzling brilliance, in the light of his holiness, do you know it becomes profoundly clear to us how unholy we are? I mean, it's just like, you know, whenever, whenever you bring your clothes and, you know, like you bring your clothes into the bright, bright light to see if there's any dirt on them. That's just naturally what happens. The closer you get into the presence of God, the more aware of your sin you'll become. Years ago, I was in a season of really chasing after the Lord and getting so discouraged because I'd be, I'd be in these moments in corporate worship or I'd be in moments in my own personal life. And man, I'm telling you, I sensed the presence and the beauty and the power of God. And then I'd come right of that space and I would just act like a complete heathen. Like, God, what is up with this? And then one day he just connected dots and said, son, the closer you get to me, the more aware of your sin you're going to become. I'm pushing it to the surface. This is a good thing. And then it just completely changed the entire paradigm of my life. Friends, don't be discouraged. When you have an encounter with the Lord, here's how the enemy likes to operate. He goes, that was, you didn't, that, was, that was all fake. That was fake. You didn't really encounter God, right? No, what I want to do is I want to reframe that for you and say, you are a broken, sinful person that God is in the process of redeeming every day of your life. And the closer you get to the light, the more aware of how unlight you are right? So here's Isaiah verse two, above him were seraphim, each with six wings, two wings that covered their faces, they covered their feet, they were flying and they called to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse four, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook. Man, this is powerful, powerful imagery here. 
and the temple was filled with smoke. And watch Isaiah's response. You'll notice throughout the scriptures, whenever people encounter God, they'll do one of two things. They'll fall flat on their face because of the power of his glory. Or number two, they'll say, oh my God, I am not worthy to be here. Those are natural responses. And this is what Isaiah says. He says, woe to me, for I am ruined. I am ruined. It's Indiana Jones. It's, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, y'all. The next generation is like, what are you talking about? We're on like, we're like, we're like, we're on part five, right? Part five. By the way, like part five is coming out this year, you guys, right? Go back, watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like the holy presence of God goes, I'm not worthy to be in this space. This is what's happening to Isaiah. He's like, what am I doing in the holy place of God? I am ruined because I'm so aware of how sinful I am. And then he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar fire, and with it he touched my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin has been atoned for. Verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, I'm your man. Pick me. I'm here, like I'm, 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 I'm your guy. Right now, look, look at the progression. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Clearly, Isaiah is harboring something in his life. He recognizes, like, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about posture, right? Isaiah's standing before God, and he's saying, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And yet, God still invites Isaiah into the holy place of God for a divine revelation and a divine encounter. So it's not the fact that we wrestle and struggle with sin. It is, is your heart constantly running back to God over and over and over again? God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. God, help me. And if you have to do it a thousand times, which you will, do it. Don't allow unbroken fellowship between you and God unnecessarily. I don't want one second of my life to be lived away from the presence of God. He wants utter closeness with you. He's not the one who's running from us. We're always the one who are running from him. And I'm here to announce the good news to you today. You never have to experience a moment of your life away from the presence of God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the ones who say, God, the center of my life is in your direction. I want to be a child of God. I want to understand. I want to know you. I want to experience you. He says, I will show myself to you. I will show myself to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. I will give you what it is that you're longing for. Now, the beautiful thing that I think here is that you can't see God and not want to become more like God. You cannot see God and not want to become more like God. In fact, the way that we become like him is by beholding him. This is why interpreting the scriptures rightly is so important. This is why encountering God in worship is so important. This is why coming to the cruciform Christ at the table is so important because when we see who God really is, it's in that process that we become more like him. For those of you guys who have seen The Chosen, masterful, masterful show. 
not trying to get into any controversial topics here. I know there are some people that don't like it, but I do. <laughs> and I'm watching this actor. I'm, I'm having this time with the Lord one morning. And here's the thought that hit me. The thought that hit me was, God, when I watch this guy play Jesus, I just fall more in love with Jesus. Like, my God, Jesus, if, if you're even remotely like this guy, and then it dawns on me, my word, this is an actor. Like, how much more by encountering the real Jesus will I want to be like Jesus? I mean, my gosh, he's, he's so winsome, and he's so... He's so perfect and he's so kind and merciful and just and the little winks and just like he just knows exactly what to do. The twinkle in his eye. I'm like, God, I want to be like you. Why is that? Because the more you see him, the more you want to be like him. And then Jesus goes right from here into blessed are the peacemakers. And why is that? Because I believe that one of perhaps, if not the, definitely one of the most defining characteristics of who God is, is he is a peacemaker. This is who God is. And when I say peacemaker, here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear shalom and reconciliation, right? So when we say blessed are the peacemakers, we are not saying blessed are the peacekeepers, Right? We are saying, blessed are those who are working to bring the peace of God's kingdom into every situation that is broken in the earth. Amen. I want you to imagine right now, and Allegra did a phenomenal job, uh, basically uh, unpacking for us a system or a jurisdiction or a sphere of our society that is broken. And you know what Royal Family Kids is all about? Royal Family Kids is all about bringing shalom to the brokenness of family systems. It's about bringing the shalom of God into the brokenness of young children's lives who are victims to family systems that are broken. All right? So I want you to now to imagine whatever space it is that God has called you to inhabit. If you're single, God has called you to inhabit that sphere of singleness and to bring shalom into all of your friendships. If you are in the military, God has called you to bring the shalom of God. This is your kingdom ministry, to bring the shalom of God into every military assignment, every, every, every military base that God has called you to. If you're a business owner, if you're an educator, if you're a teacher, if you have access to walk the halls or the classrooms of the schools in our city, God has called you to be a bearer of shalom. This is your ministry to bring the flourishing of God, to, to, to which you might say, well, Pastor Jade, what exactly is shalom? Thank you for asking that. I'm really glad I have the opportunity to share this with you. This is an Old Testament word. Uh, it's, to just translate it as peace is a little wooden. It's a little limited because the idea of shalom is essentially heaven. It is the fullness of who God is. It is wholeness. It is wholeness. Like you have to understand that when God created the earth and when God created humanity, everything was functioning in perfect harmony and order. Everything was beautiful. Nothing was marred by sin. Every relationship was functioning exactly as it was designed to function. There was mutuality. There was peace. There was harmony. There was contentment. The lion and the lamb are laying down together. What, what, is, what is Isaiah talking about there? How is it that the predator and the prey have a harmonious mutual relationship? Because that's what heaven is. 
And it goes back to God's original intention in the beginning. I want you to imagine the, the, the spheres of society, business owners not operating in power or greed or materialism or consumerism. I want you to imagine government being good, being good, being good, wholesome government that actually serves and protects and helps to uh, propagate unity in a society. That's God's dream of government. I want you to think about education being clean and good without any hidden biases or agendas where we grow and we steward the brilliance of our minds in God so that we can think the thoughts of God so that we can bring the kingdom of God into every area of society. I want you to think about marriages. I want you to think about families. I want you to think about every arena of society, arts that are beautiful. They're not perverse. I want you to think about media and communication that is clean, that is uplifting. It's not sideways. It's not sarcastic. It's not tearing people down. It's not polluted. And I want you to think about that and go, my God, that's what shalom is. And when God says, blessed are the peacemakers, he's saying, blessed are those who have a vision of what life was always meant to be and what someday it will be. And now we are working for what we see life will ultimately be. We are bringing the shalom of the eschatological kingdom of the new heavens and the new earth to bear in our life now. I don't want to wait until heaven to bring the shalom of heaven into my life. I've tasted and I've seen. Oh my God, that's what life is going to be like. Let's start experiencing that now. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the ones who lay down their lives so that the peace of God can be the reality of every, every segment of society. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers. And friends, the peace of God can only be experienced when we're in right standing with God. This is why right before this, Jesus says, blessed are the pure at heart. Blessed are the ones whose lives are oriented to see me because out of seeing me, you will experience the kind of peace that can only be experienced by knowing me. And out of, listen, listen, out of the fullness of receiving the peace of God, now God sends us into broken places of our city. Now God sends us into unreconciled relationships. God always needs someone to go first. Broken relationships don't heal themselves. People that are bitter and bound up and broken and frustrated and angry and resentful, God needs someone to be an ambassador to lay down their life and go first. And why should we, God, why should we go first? It's very simple. He goes, because I did. Look with me, if you would, at the book of Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Friends, God is a God of shalom and reconciliation. He is a God of shalom and reconciliation. That is who he is. He is a God of shalom. He is a God of wholeness. He is a God of harmony. He is a God of flourishing, and he is a God of reconciliation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, you who once, that's every single one of us, because he's speaking here not just to 
You know, don't, don't think evangelical Western American Christianity, I was once a sinner, but now I'm found. He's talking about Gentiles, those who are not a part of the people of Israel. That's, that's the context he's speaking of right now. You who once were Gentiles, you had no hope because you were not born a Jew. You were not the special treasured possession of God. You were Gentiles. You were outsiders. You were enemies. You were pagans. You were hopeless. This is what he says right here. Now in Christ Jesus, though, you who once were far away, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Every promise that I made to Abraham is yours now. Every promise that I have given to create a new heavens and a new earth, they're yours now. Every promise that I have given to all of humanity that the nations will rejoice and they will be glad. They're yours because of Christ Jesus. For he himself is our peace. He is our peace. He is our peace. He is our peace. And friends, that phrase right there, let me just blow your mind. That means so much more than you and I could ever imagine. We will never experience the shalom and the reconciliation of God in our internal lives, in our relationship with ourselves, in our relationship with our most trusted relationships, in our relationship. Here's, you have to understand, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, they completely severed, they violated, they contaminated every major relationship that humanity has. Number one, they broke humanity's relationship with God. For, and out of that, the cascading consequence of that then broke their relationship with themselves. Do you know what mental anxiety and mental health disorders and do you know, you, you know kids that are cutting themselves and ending their lives prematurely? Do you know what all that is? It's a broken relationship with ourselves. Insecurity, right? It's a broken relationship with ourselves. Self-hatred, self-rejection. That's a broken relationship. You're not in harmony with who you are, body, mind, soul, and spirit. You're disjointed. You're disconnected. You're disoriented in the fundamental foundation of your being. You're broken. Why is that? Sin. And then we find that sin breaks our relationship with those that are closest to us. Our spouses, our children, our parents, our brother, our sister. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are, Cain. You are. And then we find that sin breaks our relationship with the entire created order. That's why we keep jacking up this planet. And guys, this is just, <laughs> I've, I've just got to go here. Like, we should be some of the greatest caretakers of our environment. There, there, what, there, there's no dichotomy, guys. Like, that's our problem. We don't think in a unified whole. We think like Western enlightened, segmented, separated. We put everything into categories. We can care about babies and we can care about the planet equally. We can care about immigrants and we can care about, we can care about every issue on the planet that God cares about. We can carry that. Because that's what shalom is. God wants, we don't have to, we don't have to like prioritize. God wants all of it to be right. All of it. God wants to bring his flourishing shalom into every part of our society, into our sexuality, into our relationships, into our authority. He wants the world to be whole again. And this is why, watch this, this is why he sent his son. 
This is why. Because in order for the world to be whole, there must be a death. Think about it. Think about your own relationships. Think about someone who offended you, right? And they're just locked up. Or think about something that you did that offended somebody else and they're locked up. And you know what it requires? It requires someone to put something of themselves to death, right? Putting our ego to death, putting our pride to death, putting our power to death, putting our position to death. This is what's so jacked up about complementarianism. Well, I'm the man. I'm the man. I don't have to humble myself. Dude, dude, really? Put your position to death so that you can, so that you can be in harmony, so that you can bring shalom, so that you can be in reconciliation, so that you can experience the beauty of mutuality. Amen. We're so afraid of mutuality. And that's why we cling to power. That's why we cling to positions and we cling to titles and we cling to hierarchy because we're so afraid of mutuality. We're so afraid of vulnerability. We're so afraid of openness. We're so afraid of honesty. Why is that? Because of sin. And so here's what Jesus does. He goes, listen, something needs to die. Your position needs to die. Your power needs to die. Your offense needs to die. Your bitterness needs to die. Your need to be right needs to die. Your unwillingness to acknowledge you were wrong needs to die. Now let's go back here if we would to Ephesians. Look with me at verse 15. So this is what Jesus did. Look at verse 14. He himself is our peace. I'm gonna bring this home. Who has made the two groups one, Jew and Gentile. He has destroyed the barrier. He has destroyed the barrier. If you, want re- if you want reconciliation, you've got to identify the barrier. And I just rattled off several to you, right? Maybe your pride is the barrier. Maybe your need to be right is the barrier. Do you realize that there are some people, they can't even say I was wrong? Like it is, like it is, a, literal, it is a literal stronghold of their lives. It is a literal stronghold, friends. Like, and if you're not careful with that stronghold, the enemy will come into that and entrench himself and it will become a demonic stronghold that needs to be delivered by the power of God. If you can't recognize that you are wrong and open your mouth and humble your heart and say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Friends, you're gonna experience a lot of pain and brokenness in every area of your life. I want you to think about this. Jesus suffered the penalty of the wrongdoer, and he was the, if there was anybody on the planet to say, I ain't wrong. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> I ain't sinned. I'm flawless. And you know what Jesus did? He stepped right into that space. And he says, I will identify with the wrongdoer. I will identify with the wrongdoer. And I will suffer the penalty and the punishment of the wrongdoer, even though I am the only just one. And this is why redemption was purchased for us. Verse 15, setting aside in his flesh the law, setting aside the commands, setting aside the regulations. His purpose, verse 15, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Verse 16, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through what? The cross. And watch this, finish this verse, by which he put to death their hostility. You wanna be a peacemaker? You've gotta put hostility to death. You've gotta put hostility, which means that you've gotta put your right, your need to be right is fueling hostility. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on, your need to be right 
is fueling the hostility of our culture. It is destroying Christian influence. It is destroying Christian witness. Your need to be right, right? We are fueling hostility. Why is that? Because we would rather be powerful than be peacemakers. Because it's more important to you to be powerful. And it's more important to you to have privilege and to have position and to have authority and to be right than it is to be a peacemaker. But the last time I checked in Beatitudes, Jesus never said, blessed are the powerful, blessed are the Republican, blessed are the Democrat, blessed are the straight, blessed are... He never said any of that. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, listen, you have to understand that you can't have peace. You can't have the peace of God without the government of God, right? Because Isaiah chapter 9 says to us, right, that of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. There can be no peace without godly government, which means that you can't have peace just living life your own way. So you can't be a peacemaker and be a rebel at the same time. Like, you've got to die. You have to die to yourself so that you can see the kingdom. And what you will find is that the way to peace is every one of the beatitudes that Jesus mentioned. You want peace? Practice poverty of spirit. You want peace? Learn how to mourn and lament in God. You want the peace of God? Learn how to be meek and not powerful. You want the peace of God? Be merciful. You want the peace of God, hunger and thirst for justice and for the rightness of God to be established in the earth. You want the peace of God, cultivate a heart that is pure towards God. And when you do these things, the peace of God will come to your life. And now you can be a sent one. Now you can go into the broken places of society with the shalom of God. Stand with me to your feet this morning, guys. Jonathan, if you'd come, ministers of the table, if you would come on up for it. Or Seth. <laughs> man, I got, I got two A-listers a, a over here, man. I'm blessed, y'all. <laughs> uh, hold your hands out today, if you would. Oh, God, we ask for grace. We ask for the grace that comes by your spirit. And we thank you, God, that you went first. We thank you that in the order of peacemaking, God, even though that you were completely right and justified, even though you did nothing wrong, you stepped into the place and you said, I forgive you. I forgive you. You forgave us first. We didn't repent first. You forgave us first. We didn't confess first. You forgave us first. You extended the olive branch. You sent your son to live and to die a brutal death unjustly. And in so doing, you purchased peace by destroying the barrier of hostility. And so, God, we just say we want to be like you. God, we're so riddled with our own junk, but we're just saying we're crying out to you today. We want to be like you. We want to be peacemakers. We want to be shalom bearers. We want to bring wholeness to the world, oh God, in the name of God. And I just want to say to you right now, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, God, for the way that we have just messed all of this up. I'm so sorry, God, that we've cared more about religion than relationship and reconciliation. I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry that we've cared more about being powerful than peacemakers. 
We've cared more about the law. We've cared more about being right than about people that are far from you. And I'm asking for mercy, God. Let the mercy of God be poured out. Change us. Rearrange us. Reorient our lives around the way of the kingdom. Make us kingdom people. Pray it today in Jesus' name. Friends, I want to invite you to the table. This is the place where Jesus destroyed the dividing wall of hostility that brought you and I peace with him so that we could bring bring peace to the world. So come and receive of the reconciling work of Jesus in his life on the cross.